Hi, and welcome to Helping People Perform, the podcast that gives you fascinating insights into those people whose chosen vocation is to help others perform at their best. From consultants to teachers, sports coaches to financial advisors, all of my guests share a passion for getting the most out of individuals, teams, and organizations. Enjoy the episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Helping People Perform podcast. Uh, delighted to be joined today by John Monks, co-founder at Curve and author of the book Closer Apart. So, John, welcome. Thank you very much. It's brilliant to be here. And um, what a great way to start the year. Exactly. Yeah, we're, we're just into the new year. Everyone's coming back. Loads of energy going back in. And it's uh, it's fantastic to have you on board. So uh, before we learn a bit more about what you do and what you do at Curve and how you help people, can you give us a little bit of background about you and your history, how you've got to where you are today? Yeah, I'd love to. So um, one of the reasons I'm super excited to be on this podcast in particular is the way, you know, exactly what you say, helping people perform. And uh, when I was thinking about this before today, I was like, oh, actually, helping people perform is probably like the golden thread that runs through like, maybe even my whole life. Actually, I think right. I was doing it before I actually entered, you know, work in yeah. inverted commas, <laughs> because I just I, I love to. Uh, I love to help people. I, I always think people can do a lot more than they believe that they can. And so the uh, destination, which I'll get to in a minute, of becoming a coach was, you know, in retrospect, really obvious. Not obvious at the start of the journey. So I've always been in this helping other people, and that's taken a few different forms over time. So right back at the start of my career, I kind of started off in, in consulting. At the start, that was in kind of, it's always been kind of at the, kind of awkward crunchy interface between people and technology when people are having to right. change and do something a bit different that they haven't done before and i'm not a techie but i do like new stuff yeah. i'm always drawn to that bit of how do you help people get through the painful bit to be able to do something that they probably think is impossible so at the start that was like great big tech rollout around the millennium yeah um then i spent a few years working in public sector change Nice. Um, some part of that in a in a consultancy part, um, setting up Curve for the first time, and the first time round Curve was a, a change consultancy working specifically in public sector, um, and the most exciting bit of that for me was setting that up in New York, and there in New York I was working with the police and fire department. So it was in the, you know, it was years later, but it was a program that was a result of nine elevens. Learning, I guess. So there were yeah. a lot of extraordinarily painful learning, mm -hmm. obviously, that came out of that. A lot about how those two agencies worked together, which, in a nutshell, was they never did. They didn't yeah. want to, <laughs> and they needed to. And it was really clear from that. So it was an amazing, amazing opportunity to both see inside organisations with immensely strong cultures that were immensely useful to them. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, because life and death, needing to, you know, have, literally have one's back, uh, go into burning buildings, quite literally, a lot of the metaphors <laughs> yes. used later today, they were literally doing that. So to see that and to see how that can be a force to do amazing stuff and it can also be a huge anchor that stops change. Right. So how do you work with people in situations like that to enable them to, to change? So, super super interesting mm -hmm. um and 
for one reason or another, I mean, you know, the curve the first time round, the three partners went off in our different directions. And I, in a kind of random turn, I went into digital marketing. So I uh, set up a, uh, an, a consultancy offering for the clients of the marketing company. So these are great big brands. It was a big global marketing agency. And we were working with those brands, helping them to come to terms with digital. And again, like massive technology change. They didn't really know what to do with it. Their agencies were great, but they couldn't quite shift internally. So mm. that was, I mean, I got to see the kind of madman culture, which did not, you know, I don't, you know, at that point, I don't drink anymore. But at that point, I quite like to drink, but that was like really taking it right. <laughs> too far. <laughs> um, but one of the things I learned there was the power of communication to change behavior. So like, if that's what marketing is, it's using mm -hmm. communication to change behavior. And through consulting, as you know, you're, you're holding people's hands or showing them what to do. But this was telling them a story. I was like, ah, oh, that is so interesting. So it added two parts to how people change. They change because they've got a teacher or a coach. Yep. And they change because they hear a great story that inspires them. Mm. So it was a really, really wonderful serendipity that those two things came together. Wasn't to be forever. You know, culture didn't quite fit me. I learned a huge amount. I also love to work for myself. I love to have my own company. So I set up Curve again, second time round. This time we're a creative leadership company. And what we do is we work with individuals, teams and organizations to do what they believe to be impossible. Right. So you can see from the people, teams and organizations right. why I'm so delighted to speak to you, Paul, yeah. because I know that's how you that's how you talk about your work. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. I mean, amazing, amazingly varied and interesting uh, history. And I, I've had the same. In fact, it was the, the, the sort of um, start of this podcast for me was looking back and reflecting on my career in that I've had jobs uh, such as production manager in a sausage factory. You know, I've, I've been a consultant in food manufacturer. I've helped people internally in, in big dairy companies. I've worked in banking. But all of those roles had a, that connection on reflection of helping yeah. others and helping people to be at their best. Um, yeah. And that really got me interested in doing this for myself, but also finding out more from others. And uh, it's great to hear those different histories and, yeah. and different experiences. Isn't it, isn't it interesting how, you know, just what you say there of like how clear your story and your journey can be in the rearview mirror yes i like that it's like oh that's how this all fits together it's like it's really obvious but at the time these things can feel quite random and i, yeah. I think for, for you know people that we work with that's actually quite nice like sometimes things can feel random in the moment yeah and yet actually there's something deeper that's driving it yeah oh brilliant and uh, there's a couple of things i'd like to just delve into a little bit more in that history because one of the things that came to mind um and this is probably the the result of that cultural imagery and the immersion in media of, um, I think of the likes of Brooklyn Nine-Nine um, and, and other comedy shows, but top shows and things. And the, they take the mick out of that relationship between NYPD and the fire department. And, every, you know, it's like, what what's the difference between a cop and a fireman? <laughs> a, a cop wants to be a fireman. That's essentially the, the difference, isn't it? Everyone wants to be the fireman. But that cultural uh, almost butting up heads and has been for many, many years. How was that experience and, and how did you start to chip away at that? And Yeah, I mean, I think it was for me super fascinating because the, you know, I'd worked with the police in the UK, the policing culture in the US is very, very different. Right. 
could have a whole podcast episode on that. But, <laughs> you know, what was fascinating there was that you've got these two super powerful organizations in New York. They're, they're big institutions. They're politically active. So they've got a history of like being able to kind of call their own shots. Yeah. Um, and the and obviously they're, they're both like loved by the, by the general public in their different ways. And um, especially fire is still like a family outfit. Like, right. you know, there are generations of people who work and have always worked there. Less so in police, that was the case, but for, for various intricate reasons, it, it has become less so in the last few decades. So one one statistic that almost that makes me well up every time I say it, but in fire department, 3,000 people worked there. And in 9-11, more than 300 people died. So... Mm. 10% of the whole organization gone in one day, less mm. than one day. And that in an organization where, you know, this is brothers, cousins, mothers, father, like, you know, literally mm. a family business. Yes. Yeah. Family organization, you know, it really makes me tingle because it, it was an insight into like what, what grief, literal trauma and grief means in an yeah. organization and what that then happens. So the, the background to like why police and fire have always been kind of that you know had that animosity or tension between them like is a really long long story um there's a there's a funny scene in the film gangs of new york i don't know if you've ever seen that yes film, yeah where it's like right back at the starting you know when when it was like the the frontier of yeah. And you know it was kind of lawless, and the and fire and police were basically rival gangs. Yes, <laughs> it's like well, there's probably a little bit of truth somewhere there. <laughs> but generations later, is there? But I think it's become a story. Like that's become the myth that is also the reality. You know, to the point of you know the baseball matches that they have every year always result in people being hospitalised, like literally <laughs> wow. every year. So like it is a reality and. The thing that I thought was really interesting was, you know, from this side of the Atlantic, when we saw the horror of 9-11, we kind of looked at the kind of shoulder to shoulder, brothers in arms narrative of, of them going together into the into the ground zero site and risking everything. Um, and that was super strong. Like, you know, in that moment, they were, I think, very much shoulder to shoulder. And I'm sure that for some time, after that there was a golden opportunity to really make you know silver lining of the most awful cloud to try and you know try and move move things forward into a better direction but what actually happened was it took an awfully long time it became quite political it was you know many many years later that they tried to mm. make any meaningful change so you know for years they were just talking about you know radio systems right and in that time, you know, the cultures had kind of gone back to where they were. The old stories had resurfaced. The memories of, you know, that that bond, I think, had faded. Yeah. And then it had got back into really being kind of quite territorial about what was theirs, um, you know, which was which. And, and, you know, a great example for me was like, I, my client was both. Like I was, you know, um, running a program that was equally delivering to both agencies. And I had to have an office in both police and fire headquarters. Right. And I had to be there for literally the exact same amount of time. So oh. and if they if they felt I was spending more time on one than the other, then I would get called up and say, like, where were you? What were you doing? 
I spent a lot of time on the Manhattan Bridge because right. going from one to the other, the headquarters are all one edge, <laughs> one foot the other. So, yeah. super interesting story, and I learned such a lot from that. And you know what what it what it shows to all of us is like you know you've got things that you think might drive change that maybe wouldn't, and you've got opportunities that that any situation mm. can change can happen. Like there's it's all it requires. Is somebody, some person, some people to change their mind. That happens like that. Right. People change their mind in an instant, and that, for me, is at the heart of all organisational change. Like people say, change is hard, and it can be. And at the end of the day, it's only ever no, no. the split second of changing your mind. Yeah. Oh, amazing story! We talk about that for for ages. No, yeah. I had a um, a similar experience, shall we say, but at a you know much. <laughs> you know, much more um, uh, concise and, and controlled piece, but it was in the sausage making days where mm. somebody in the um, in the factory died on site. Um, mm. But it was very much a family factory. You know, mm. they were, um, and the the person who died unfortunately was in my team. Mm. One of the team leaders who worked for me it was it was his um, uh, it was his wife. Uh, there were children. There were aunties and uncles and and everyone working there, and just actual dealing with actual grief and dealing with that family connection um as a 24 year old i think it was you know wet behind the ears manager you know how, how do you deal with that mm -hmm. but also the journey of how do you get back to work you know at some point you have to you know you can say as an organization yeah we're going to hold off and give everybody their time but at some point you're going to get have to get back to work and I can imagine with the uh, the police and the fire department, you know, that doesn't fires don't stop just because there's one big one over there. It doesn't mean that there aren't other family fires elsewhere. You've literally got to get back straight on. So, uh, yeah, an amazing topic, and and let's uh, uh, let's save that for a deeper dive another day, maybe. Okay. But um, um, the other bit I was just going to um, touch upon as well was that side shift, as you sort of indicated, into that digital media world. And mm -hmm. just around what was that? Was that an opportunity that came your way? Was it something you were seeking deliberately to move to the no. side? Yeah, it wasn't. When I, I knew I wanted to move. So, right. you know, as I said, you know, curve had, curve had changed. It, you know, I didn't wind it down until I find something different. But it, yeah. it kind of, oh, I missed the fact that I trained as a coach. So at some point in that, I trained as a coach while I was yeah. at the uh, digital marketing company. I love that. I, I wasn't practicing as a coach, but I was starting to do bits and pieces of right. private practice just to, just because I love it, actually, yeah. I really enjoy it. So the that that kind of fork in the road was um, speaking to somebody working in a in a big you know in the place that later became my employer, and they were saying, yeah, well, you know, we've got these clients and they're huge organizations, and they've always got this problem with internal change, and it sounds something like you might know about that. It's like, yeah, that's exactly what yeah. I do. It's like, yeah, great. Well, we, you know, we kind of want to help our clients like okay let's talk yeah so it was a okay it was a a natural um it was a natural thing for their clients to need help and um, mm. it turns out interestingly though that you know the the ad industry and the consultancy industry like they are very different business models like right. they, they work in very different ways so most buyers of ads digital or otherwise, don't really want consultancy from their ad agency. They just want a brilliant idea, a beautiful website, a great campaign, mm. and they don't want them in the building collaborating very much. Yeah. But actually, it was a very hard sell a lot of the time, even though it was clear that, that they needed it. 
Oh, well, maybe that's a bit of a segue there into, into Curve and what you do now, because I know the word collaboration comes up massively in, in terms of what you do. So could you tell us a bit more about Curve, what you yep. do, and who do you help, and how do you help them? Yeah, so we, you know, as I said before, we work, we help um, individuals in teams and organisations. Uh, we do that through um, facilitation, so running workshops, yep. training people, so upskilling them, and uh, coaching teams. So we coach, we coach teams, we coach individuals in the context of teams, not not on their own. So we're a team coaching business rather than an individual coaching business. Um, the kinds of clients we work with seem to fall into two groups. So we work with quite a lot of big kind of global corporates or big UK organisations. And then we seem to have found a, a, a very, very lovely niche uh, in kind of fast growing tech startups. Right. So typically they're in there like 50 to 150 people that got funding, they've got a brilliant idea, great product, and they're suddenly having to grow up is normally how they describe it. Right. Um, and uh, and that is a super interesting space. So mm. what we've got is two group, two types of client that often have the exact opposite problem. <laughs> so those tech startups is like, you know, we move so quick, we can make turn on a dime, we can make all these decisions, but like, we keep changing our mind. There's no consistency. New joiners don't know what they're doing. Help. <laughs> and then on the other side of the coin, you've got these, like, you know, decades or hundreds of year old, thousands of people, organizations with super rigid processes and super tied up ways of working and super embedded cultures who desperately want to move quicker, have new ideas, yeah. break down their silos, change their minds. Help. Yeah. That's so really interesting because it is, you meant, you know, the core of it is still they need to collaborate in different ways. Yeah. But they've got two very different challenges. Mm. No, it's, uh, I'm, I'm smiling a lot because I've experienced both ends of the spectrum myself as well. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's that piece of, are you using process? You know, are you, is process actually swamping you in such a way that you've got so much you can't have any creativity or, or it stifles that creativity and it stifles that um, ability to move quickly? Or I've worked with some smaller companies who are going, we'd love to grow, but we're going to spend so much time training new people because we don't, we have to have the people who do it right now training them because we haven't got anything documented. We don't have any processes written down. So it's a, yeah. it's an interesting yeah. balance, isn't it? And it is uh, a challenge, isn't it? And, you know, what, what, what we do is so obviously the, the, the team coaching can kind of go wherever it needs to go. Um, the, the collaboration for me, you know, we've got, leadership programs and we've got you know training you know, largely this is online like you right. know we yeah, as we'll speak about in a moment no doubt yeah. for a part of the book that i wrote with lizzie all about collaborating online right um, and i genuinely believe that almost everything if not everything can be done better online than in person right so you know it's still a controversial point of view yeah. <laughs> i understand why because i love people and i love to be with people as well yeah but you know training for sure is better delivered online much more flexible people learn much more you can deal with distractions it's possible to do like all of those things yeah so we spend a lot of time and for me my personal uh kind of the skills we train the most that i enjoy working with people the most is um feedback and growth mindset so for me, these are the two topics, they're both big topics, mm. where but people 
learn it pretty easily because like, it's quite intuitive often. Yep. Um, but yet it holds the key to massive transformation. So the ability to give and receive feedback and take and learn from that, yep. like that, the best organizations do that really well. Mm. And that is 1% of organizations I see. It yep. is so rare, but everybody can do it. Mm. <laughs> and the other one, which I, which I love is this idea of growth mindset, which is from this book by Carol Dweck, yeah. which is all about, you know, it's the heart of coaching really, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's always the, you co- you're always learning and growing. For me, the, my favorite word from all of it is if you take any sentence and put yet on the end of it. So it's like, I can't play the piano yet. Yeah. <laughs> like, so, you know, again, it's such a simple concept yeah. that people can get quite intuitively. So the content is you know, it can be very, very simple. Mm. And then in this combination of training in and, and our training is we never do PowerPoint. It's always in a workshop format. So right. tr- it's a combination of training and coaching in a workshop format can change people very quickly. So I, I really, really love that kind of intersection of teacher and coach. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Um, I'm smiling to myself here because uh, that piece of, I can't do it yet. It's something that I've been uh, deliberately trying out with my nine-year-old. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it, it's amazing that you, on reflection, when you think about those things, like why why am I not doing this for myself? Why am I not doing it enough for myself? Maybe it's uh, completely. Uh, it's, and my, my kids are 16 and 18. And when I do that, they're like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> you coach me again, dad. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh yeah. It's a, it's a difficult line to, to, to yeah. manage isn't it that you know am i being a parent am i moving into that coaching piece and uh... yeah we haven't done it we haven't cracked it yet <laughs> um so tell us a little bit about closer apart um and the book that you wrote there and, and co-authored yeah so uh, you know we, obviously we've been working in collaboration running workshops for, for years some of them have been online uh, but the vast majority weren't people didn't really want it prior to 2020 um, didn't think it could work, didn't have the technology, IT says no, like all of that stuff. Yeah. Um, we Interestingly, we'd created a course on how to facilitate online for an environmental consultancy that wanted to reduce its travel. Yeah. And they never bought it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Crazy. <laughs> anyway, um, come, you know, start of 2020, you know, once we, you know, we've always been a fully remote organisation, so it was easy for us to pivot. You know, suddenly everybody was like, we, we need this, we need this, we need this. So we were delivering it like nonstop mm. from, you know, the start of lockdown for, I mean, I literally feel like I did nothing but deliver that course. It's a mm. two, two hour course. Um, it was like every single day wow. <laughs> for months. So I was like really in that content, yeah. seeing how, just seeing how brilliant, you know, how many light bulb moments people would have. It's like, oh, I can do that. Oh, I can do this. Oh. It's possible yeah. and so again very simple things not nothing that anybody needed something didn't need a million pounds video conferencing you could use free software yeah. so there came a point in that where i realized we could do this every hour every day and not even scratch the surface of yeah. the need that was out there in the billions of people who were suddenly thrust online so the question was like okay how do we how do we create something that is more scalable? And the obvious thing for me was, well, we'll take the content that we already have and we'll write that into a book, right. which is all about how to design and facilitate great collaboration and workshops online. Yeah. So it's um, 
it's there to be a coach. We want it to feel like a workshop. So it was a really brilliant, you know, the designer is fantastic. And my business partner, Lizzie, who, who led that part and did the illustrations, which are beautiful. Like it's a real experience. I, I believe when people tell us to read the book yep. and it should be giving you some help, some confidence, some, you know, curiosity to create for yourself. And, and, and that, turned out to be true and within in the first week it was number two amazon bestseller in and that was like it was like oh you know people do want this <laughs> yeah. so uh, that was really really amazing and there's a course that goes with it so after that then we created a you know a self-paced yeah. e-learning course that exists as well yeah so we you know we've taken that and we now you know as i say most of our training is still online even though last year 2022 was for sure the year of the offside so we have yeah. run so many offsides <laughs> people really wanted to be back together and i i completely agree with that so it's been a really interesting journey of like taking something you know there's still more to learn it's still an evolving practice and yet unfortunately in many organizations that's deliberately or accidentally stepping backwards and they're going into the very difficult space of hybrid yeah it's like this like how am we going to do a bit of this and a bit of that and it's like you know ends up being bad for everyone mm. um so we're just actually about to re-release the book with a, an additional chapter on hybrid to give people some tips even though my main message is still it's better online right <laughs> <laughs> interesting and, and I've, I've wrote that down actually and it's uh most of the conversations I've had with others in this space have been, it, it can be as good online as in person. And you're the first, I think, who've talked to me and said, it can be, it can be and is better online. Yeah, um, 100%. And I think it is just because the vast majority of people have never experienced a decent online workshop. Yeah. They, they you know, because nobody's been told how to do it. Mm. I mean, you know, it's, it's not hard. Mm. And what's interesting is, especially in big companies, the technical barriers that were there often was like, no, we can't do Zoom, IT doesn't allow it, no, we can't do breakout rooms, IT doesn't allow it. All that's gone away now. There's, no, there's not an organization in the world, I don't think, that doesn't have video conferencing platform with breakout rooms. Yeah. So everybody has what they need, but all they need now is a little bit more, it's a bit of skill, it's not a huge amount of skill, but it's mainly confidence. And that's what we want the book to give people. Oh, nice. Oh, we'll, we'll definitely put links in there for, for people to, to, to go and get that. And uh, roughly what time frame are we talking for the um, for the release with the... Um, I'm hoping to get that into kind of design in the next couple of weeks of so February. I wanted January, but I think that's... I'm, I'm always optimistic. <laughs> when I speak to, you know, the copywriter and designer, they'll be like, nah. Fantastic. Well, yeah, look, it's, it's Amazon print on demand. So it's like, you know, right. once it's done, it's done. It's brilliant. Brilliant. So let's keep an eye out for that one. Um, I know it's a challenge that we've uh, I've talked to a lot of clients about, and uh, and a lot of my friends and colleagues have, have talked about. You know, the, particularly the hybrid side. Uh, doing mm. something online is a challenge in itself, but mm. hybrid hybrids are a whole new ball game in, mm. in that space. Oh, brilliant stuff! And um, let's change this uh, conversation slightly to think about you and how you help your own performance. You know, who do you go to? What do you do? How does John up his own game? Yeah, well, you know, it's such a brilliant question. And, and I think my if it, my instant reaction was like, oh, I wonder what I do. I don't, you know. And then I sit down like, actually, you know, this is it's kind of a lifelong project, actually, of 
self-reflection and self-improvement even though i might not necessarily have given myself that many stars I, i you know i do spend a lot of time thinking about it i was thinking when preparing for this you know what's the what's the main thing and i think the main thing for me is journaling so it's, it is my it's my place of self reflection it's my mm-hmm. place of self coaching mm-hmm. and it's where i work out you know it's obviously going on in my head but it's the point at which i can see the words reflected back on me it's like oh i should, i need a bit of help with this or i need a bit of help with that so i think that's my foundational practice and i've got an article or two about it on linkedin so if people mm-hmm. want to read about it because I'm a huge huge advocate of journaling again it's something that everybody can do literally nothing that anybody doesn't have um and yet it's some minority of people that try it and there's lots of reasons why people think they can't do it and it's only a yet yes exactly (laughs) it's only a yet um so everybody everybody I think you know can really benefit from that from I love it and from that I like I find from time to time I have a coach myself so I've had a really brilliant um, coach called Robbie, who uh, who's got a brilliant podcast called The Coach's Journey that your listeners might want to listen to. So he coached me in the last year, uh, coaching supervision. Uh, I read a lot of books. I listen to lots of podcasts. Um, yeah, so uh, lots of that. And, but if, a great example, I think, of like how the journaling has helped me grow as a person was the start this time last year, almost exactly to the day I decided... I'd like to make this year a year of understanding my own energy. So I kind of chunked the year up into four bits and said, well, you know, first quarter, I'm going to think about sleep. Second quarter, I'm going to think about exercise. Third quarter, I'm going to think about food. And then the fourth quarter, I'll think about emotional energy. And then in all each of those, I'd kind of played around, I journaled and I do some very basic like self-measurement. So I'm, I'm not a geek and I'm not a data person. <laughs> But I do quite like measuring a few things. So I put a little box at the bottom of my daily journal, which was like, you know, what did I eat? What did I drink? How much did I sleep? Or whatever the thing was I was tracking for that quarter. And in, you know, so I've got my my green juice here has become a staple. Like uh, I've got little practices. I've changed the way that I go to bed. I've shifted what I eat. I've changed how I exercise. In that year, my average daily sleep went up a whole hour like from january to december that's massive and i've i would say most people who know me would say i struggle with sleep but that's that was a yet then (laughs) now i i don't really struggle with sleep and so that that um i think the the key for me um, and i guess my tip for all of your listeners is like how do you work out where you want help and what the what the best way for help is for for me that the how I work out where is the journaling mm-hmm. and from that then you can say oh well then maybe I need a therapist or maybe I need a coach or maybe I need a online yoga session or maybe <laughs> drink some more water or like yeah. whatever the thing is because there's infinite possibility yeah but the key is working out what yeah what's the thing to do no it's a it's a really interesting piece and a, a, a interesting reflection for myself as well on this in that quite often people will go to oh there's a new shiny solution it might be the green juice <laughs> it's like right i'm going to try the green juice and see if that works whereas your approach that you're talking about there is i'm going to set out what i want to achieve then i'm going to try some experiments and the understand where i need 
to focus more effort or to the things that don't necessarily work for me oh, for sure. and move that away. So yeah, um, love that approach sure. and love that approach of, by the way, of, of setting yourself out a target for the year and breaking it into quarters and themes because that makes it a little bit more achievable. And I'm sure within those quarters, you, you would have sort of slightly broken down goals or, or views or topics within that as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, for, for me, one of the things, especially speaking at the start of a year, often people put like a lot of pressure and like a lot of kind of quite specific targets and goals and things and which really is setting out to fail like, yeah. you know I, I, i'm not a believer in new year's resolutions i'm not a believer in big goals that you set yourself on new year's day and i'm gonna lose this much weight or i'm gonna like you know do this or i'm gonna stop drinking like yeah. all the things that people do and i think that the to be able to lift out of that and say well for me the word is always an intention right so my intention was like to focus on my energy and just get it a bit better. But like I had to work out what that even meant to start with. But at that level of altitude, you can't fail really. Because even if all I'd done was like on one day, <laughs> you know, have a think about it, like I'd still have met that intention. So yeah. I think there's something really great to, you know, get to something that feels quite meaningful, but also really kind of open yeah. because it's a, that's a, just a brilliant place to start. And is, the, is there a, a new intention at the start of 23? Uh, not yet. Not yet? yet. Like yeah, no, <laughs> not yet. There's yeah. a, um, there's a, I'll, I'll put the link to this as well because it's one of my favourite resources. It's a free resource called The Year Compass. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think it's a social enterprise and, and they do this every year, but it's a journaling. It's a free downloadable PDF. Wow. You can print it out. You can do it online. And it's a structure of questions that you kind of journal off the back of. Right in two parts. One part looks back at the year that's just gone, which is a really lovely thing to do because you've generally forgotten most of it. Yeah. And then a lot of it looks forward. So it's a kind of coaching in a PDF. Yeah. I did the looking back and I really enjoyed doing that. And I just, there's, I, I haven't found the time or there's some resistance to doing the looking forward bit yet. Yet. <laughs> and couple of shorter questions now then in terms of if you had the opportunity to work with any individual team or organization to help them perform with the skill set and the experience that you've got who might you want that to be uh so for me here in the uk it's the nhs right i just you know i, I feel i mean again it's a little bit like that in ypdfdy like this is life and death and yeah. but it's it's at a national scale and it's so it's critical to every single person mm. and it's both um you know it's it's clear whenever you interact with it it's just like so organizationally broken mm. in so many ways and yet at the same time it's constantly being changed yeah. and and i, I feel like a, an approach that wasn't just yet another top-down real would be a really really interesting thing to do something which acknowledged that they will obviously know the answers to their own problems. They obviously have the resources they need. They may no doubt need some more money. And yet, yeah. you know, spending time working with those people doing that incredible work would be amazing. Yeah. I fully agree. I, I haven't had the, the opportunity yet to work with the NHS. So there's actually potentially some things in the pipeline for me. So I, mm, I'm, I'm hoping brilliant. to uh, to get that opportunity myself. Um, and conversely, if you were able to sit down have a have a cup of coffee, have a chat with in in order to help your performance. Someone that you think you could really learn from and be inspired by. Who would you want that to be? 
Yeah, oh, this is again such a such a great question. It's like, oh my goodness, so many people. <laughs> <laughs> the one that really came to mind though was Brené Brown, and I'm sure loads of people would say this, but because yeah. I like you know, she's just such a forceful, not forceful, but energetic communicator, and her work around vulnerability and you know being able to work with your emotions, uh, which is an area that like I'd said that was my quarter four of last year or like I couldn't work out what to do in that actually right. I still haven't worked mm. that out so she'd probably be able to help nice but also like I really get the sense I love her podcast I love you know listening to her books because she reads them herself mm. and um I really get to the sense she's very very different to me like right. actually we've got a hugely different way of thinking way of working so I, I feel like a I love what she's doing and B, I would love to get inside her brain a bit more. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful. So if any of our listeners, in fact, if Brenny's listening right now, <laughs> uh, or if there are any listeners there, maybe we can start putting some people in touch uh, with each other as well. Um, and where can people find out more, John? How do we find out more about Curve, Closer Apart, those sorts of things? Yeah, so um, so you can find me on LinkedIn, John Monk's Curve. That's easy to, to find. Uh, Curve, we are curve.cc. So we've got a website. All of the, the stuff we provide is on there. Yeah. And Closer Apart is closerapartbook, all one word, dot com. Brilliant. And all of those links will, will certainly be in and we'll share all of that with everybody. Um, just a, a massive thanks for uh, for joining me today, John. Really interesting chat and uh, and hope this year goes well for you. Thank you very much. You too, Paul. Cheers, John. Bye now. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you liked what you heard, then please give the podcast a rate, review and share. I'm Paul Teasdale, and from sausage making to banking, oil and gas to Formula One, I help people perform. If you'd like to find out more and have a conversation, contact me via helpingpeopleperform.com.